Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Mitch Light joins us today as we talk Vanderbilt baseball as the Commodores prepare to head to Omaha. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, we know Vanderbilt's first opponent and game time in the College World Series. That will be the Arizona Wildcats who beat Ole Miss in the Tucson Super Regional, Arizona the highest scoring team in the country. Vanderbilt will face Arizona at 6 o'clock Central. That on Saturday night, the game will be shown on ESPN. Mitch Light joins me on the podcast today. My dog is very fired up about this, as you can probably hear and may continue to hear for several minutes. Mitch, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, I, I guess your dog's a big college baseball fan. He's ready for Omaha. He's a big fan with anything on our legs, with legs on our street that moves. Um, my, my setup here at the house is I've got a private office, but it's right Not behind our, our bonus room, which overlooks the street. And, um, yeah, when there's, when there's activity on the street and he sees it, um, he does what one-year-old dogs do, and that's – Let's tell everyone about it. So anyway, <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mitch, we haven't done this in a couple weeks. So I think since the last time we spoke on the podcast, Vanderbilt has rolled through a regional and a super regional. I don't think we have gotten nope. together. You and I to comment on it. I have with, with another person or two, but you and I have not talked about it. What was your, just, just your impression of the team the way that it handled its regional and super regional. I'm not going to say easily, but certainly there was never a moment where you felt like the Commodores were not in command. Yeah, you know, went 5-0 and um, against some good competition. Uh, obviously, Presbyterian was, and we had talked about this, it was, it was without a doubt the, you know, easiest, whatever word you want to use, number four seed that Vanderbilt has drawn in the Tim Corbin era. And quite frankly, Vanderbilt was due for that. Uh, one of those where you really didn't, have to worry about it too much. And Georgia Tech was a very, very good offensive team. Um, we saw that, saw that all weekend. They could swing the bat and, and you know, uh, put some pressure on the Vanderbilt staff. Um, and but you know, real, real exciting game. I guess they get, both of them, both of them were exciting. You know, Vanderbilt won the Saturday night game. We don't really need to rehash. I'm sure you've talked about it, but won that Saturday night game with three hits. And then obviously the the marathon five hour game was was a lot of fun. Uh, and very eventful. And I thought last weekend, and, and again, I'm sure you've touched on this earlier in the week, but was really impressed with East Carolina. And Tim Corbin kept saying it, and I've heard other people say that that East Carolina team is probably a top third, top half, definitely SEC team. Um, you know, I don't know what you think, but I, the, the starting pitching was outstanding, and Vanderbilt did an amazing job pitching. And that, you know, that we saw what Vanderbilt can do in a regional format with its two ace pitchers pitching the way they did. Um, so very businesslike, did not swing the bats great. Part of that was Gavin Williams and the East Carolina staff, but timely two out hits, some ground balls in the right situation to, to, to score a run. Uh, but yeah, so it's so, so businesslike and you know, I don't know how many teams there are, Chris, that have played five 
tournament games so far and have faced the top seed possible in each one. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of a deal that is, have a big deal that is, um, but Vanderbilt, other than that Presbyterian game, has, you know, played pretty good teams four games in a row. Yeah, I thought it got one of the easier draws from the get-go, but certainly it didn't get, like you said, they played the, the toughest possible challenge from there. And frankly, sometimes you really don't know about teams till you see them. I thought ECU was certainly a very solid one seed. Uh, with, with teams like that, you know, first of all, I was really impressed with Gavin Williams. But I, I think that the further that went on, you know, their, their pitching was going to be running on fumes. And, of course, Vanderbilt would have had a big drop-off from Rocker and Lighter to whoever would have thrown game three. But, yes, I was impressed with ECU. And really, Mitch, I think they faced different types of teams. They faced a team with a couple of good arms, and so they won the challenge that way. Uh, they faced a Georgia Tech team that can just outslug just about anybody, really good lineup up and down the order. So I felt like they got experience beating two different types of teams heading into Omaha, and sometimes that can be important. Yeah, and we can sit back and look at the brackets and say, you know, uh, that Vanderbilt's draw was pretty favorable, but that doesn't always mean you, you play the right teams. Like, let's say Tennessee. We thought, and on paper, they had a very difficult region. Well, they played the four seed, a three seed, and a three seed, not taking anything away from Tennessee. They're obviously a very good team and one of the best teams in the country. And then they play a three seed in the Super Regional. So it didn't really shake out how we thought. Um, but yeah, I, I think you make a good point. You know, that Georgia Tech, I might have said this on a podcast earlier. I was, uh, I worked, uh, do you remember uh, Tres Gonzalez, the center fielder for the, in, in left yes. fielder? Yes, yeah. I, I worked with, uh, his dad was a salesman in Athlon, uh, Eddie Gonzalez. I uh, worked with him for 15 years, know Eddie very well. Now, he worked in the Atlanta. He worked his sales work in Atlanta, but I, I knew him well, and I sat with him during the Indian, the two Indiana State games. And um, I know they felt as a team that they got kind of a, a – not a raw deal. They were a two-seed, but that coming to Vanderbilt was a difficult matchup for them, and they felt that they could have gotten gotten out of almost any other region. Um, but that was, a, that was a confident team. Uh, that was swinging the bat well and, um, you know, a lot of depth to that lineup. Um, so I, I thought looking back, you know, I didn't know a ton about Georgia Tech when the when the when the brackets came out. You do a little dive, dive in, do some research. You figure they're you, you see they're a good hitting team, not much pitching depth. And that's kind of kind of how it played out. Were you at the at that game on Saturday night slash Monday morning to the bitter end? Yes, I was. OK. I was. And the, Credit my my wife and my son. We we all stayed and uh, you know uh, you know I, I'm not the type that leaves games anyway. But it, with mid middle innings started to rain there and the game was dragging on. I was like, this is going to be one of those marathon games. It actually stopped raining after a little bit and the weather uh, turned out to be kind of delightful. Yeah, I was listening to somebody in the media talk about covering these things. I thought this was a good point. I feel like that game, and I'm paraphrasing some of what this person said and adding my own. I feel like that game that lasted till one ten in the morning. And and by the way, we're not gonna not gonna sit here talking about things that happened two weeks ago. The whole podcast. I just thought this was an interesting point from a media standpoint. I thought that game was easier to cover in person than on TV because if I'm doing that on TV, I'm sitting there on my couch. <laughs> it's easy to lie down or to get tired or whatever. Not that I would have, but I just feel like when you're the ballpark, there's an energy and, and maybe fewer distractions, uh, certainly not barking dogs. And it's just easier to cover a game like that live th than it is um, remotely, which is what we've had to do so much of the last year and a half. 
Yeah, and you just get the certain like the emotions of the stadium. I've always thought, you know, um, postseason baseball has there's so many, you know, sitting in the stands. There, there's a lot of different types of energy from the crowd. When things are going well, there's the positive energy. This is like, you know, teams doing well. You expect good things to happen. But when you're the favorite, which if you're the home team and these the way these are set up and things aren't going well, there's that nervous energy. And you see it, you can kind of, you felt it at Arkansas watching that game, of whatever, 11,000, 12,000 fans. Uh, you can kind of sense it through the TV a little bit, but much more so in person. And when... Uh, Georgia Tech hit that three-run homer after Isaiah Thomas's error. That was there was a lot of nervous energy, and uh, I remember back in 2007 with that wild environment against Michigan that first weekend uh, when Michigan was you know won that game. There's just that that energy in the crowd, just looking. Everyone's kind of looking around like this isn't supposed to happen, and it's unique to baseball. I mean, you can have it in other sports too, but just the pitch pipe pitch and the anxiety of baseball just lends itself to a different type of energy. Yeah, it it really does, and there's nothing I have covered that really compares to postseason baseball. I mean, I guess the closest thing would be NCAA tournament basketball, but even then, there's just these built-in breaks after, you know, after every pitch, and, and there's just more time for tension and everything to mount. I, I think that that is just, for, from a theater standpoint, I think that's hard to beat. Basketball is kind of close in its own way, but there are just all these little breaks between every single pitch, and there's a runner on and all these things. It just, I think from a stand, fan standpoint, I'm just surprised more people don't have, don't have heart attacks in, in the stands or, or maybe the dugouts for, for that matter. Yeah. And, and like I said, to kind of re, to go over this point again, when you're postseason bait, like Omaha is different. It's got a different kind of energy. It, there's more neutral. There's a lot more neutral fans there. There's fans of both teams. Sure. But there's the, we quote unquote, we've made it there. When you are hosting a regional or, or super regional, there's the, especially with your program like Vanderbilt, where quite frankly, it expects to get to Omaha. You, there's that nerve again, the nervous energy of you got to win this game or else where in NCAA tournament basketball, unless you're Kentucky or something like that, there's okay. Well, you, your team's in the tournament, you're in the second round. It's fun, but there's not the, the, that nervousness of, uh, all the people rooting for one team or then a super regional when you, where there's more, the higher ticket allotment to the other team, you know, road fans are always the most boisterous because like, if you travel to a game, either your kids on the team or you're a big fan. So they're always going to be, so like if Vanderbilt's not doing well and then East Carolina crowds up and that creates some energy there. I just, I love the energy of the, the postseason baseball. Is your wife big into these Hallmark Christmas movies? Not at all. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. But yeah. Okay, I think that when they play in a regional and super regional, it's kind of like one of those movies where you're watching it and like they've, they've got to build in some storyline or tension of, you know, you want this to happen, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know it's going to happen. Hallmark doesn't make a movie where, um, you know, the – the, the bride and the groom get called, killed in a car wreck on the way to, to the wedding or whatever. You, well, you, you always know you always know how there's going to end. It was going to have a happy ending. Right, right. It, it, it feels like it's just like, okay, there's going to be some drama in these somewhere for the most part, but you always feel like watching them these days, they've just gotten to the program to such a level 
uh, that that is like, okay, we'll we'll see what the drama is, but we all kind of know how this is going to end. Yeah, it's the consistency. It's the fact that they, you know, even when they go on the road to Clemson two years in a row, where you know you you expect to win if you're Vanderbilt, um, even if you're not at home. Um, it's the consistencies of getting the super regionals, which is, and Tim Corbin talks a lot, a lot about that. He's, you know, tries not to come off as like patting himself on the back. So he always says we in the program, but like just the fact that their consecutive run of tournaments where programs like, you know, Florida didn't make it one year, Arkansas didn't make it, make it one year. We saw what happened at Texas A&M this year. There's really only been this since they first broke through, you know, they made it in 2004, obviously, then back in 2006, I'd say there's two cases where it wasn't a foregone conclusion that was the what in the 2009 season where they went 12 and 17 in the SEC, but then got hot in the SEC tournament and made it as a three seed. And then I guess the 2012 season, but they rallied late and actually ended with a 16 and 14 record in the SEC play. Other than those two years, like Vanderbilt was never, you never even from, from the, maybe the first couple of weeks of the SEC season, you've never even talked about them as a bubble team. And that's just amazing consistency. Well, I kind of look at Vanderbilt baseball like this. Really from 2013 on, and maybe you could say 2011 with 2012 as an interlude, but but I would say 2013. They've been at, at that level the whole time. Uh, you kind of put 2016 to 18 in parentheses for reasons we all know. No use in talking about that again. But I just feel like really for about eight, nine seasons now, this is just kind of what they are. Yeah, that's fair. And I think you started 2013 because your point is that there's no down years. Although to the, I'm sitting here talking about a down year, quote unquote, of 2012, where they go 16 and 14 and they're a two seed at NC State and take them to a game five. Um, so, yeah, I, it's 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 amazing consistency. And especially in a sport. And the basketball is like this now, but where, where there's so much turnover, you, you, you're losing guys after three years, and now you're losing more guys after two years. There seems to be more draft eligible sophomores than ever. So, yeah, there's only so, so many certain, so many ways we could say this, but just the consistency of being at an elite level is, is is very impressive. I want to ask you: Are you concerned about the bats heading to, into Omaha because they have hit better? than they've hit over the last month. And sometimes that's just the ebb and flow of the season. They may go to Omaha and hit better than anybody. I think it's a talented lineup. I don't see a really easy out in the bunch. But the fact remains that, okay, you you go back and look. They didn't hit well in the SEC tournament. They didn't hit as well against Kentucky as I would have expected them to hit. Um, You know, really, for for about a month, they've they've been good maybe, but not great. How are you feeling about the lineup? as they go to the college world series you'd obviously like to would it be better if it was coming off what the oregon state sweep of 2011 where it was like 11 you know scored double digit runs both games um sure so yeah i I think there's a little bit of concern um certain guys are hitting the ball well certain guys aren't carter young had that huge two out hit uh but coming back from injury he's really struggled um you know, Troy Leneve, who for about two or three weeks was as hot as you're going to find a college hitter, ha- hasn't hit the balls well. Jack Bulger hasn't hit the balls well. These guys have proven it. Um, so I'm not, you know, if they go out and score, if they beat Arizona 10 to 10 to 3, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, if they win that game 2 nothing, I might, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, so I, they clearly have ability. You look up and down the lineup, like you said, there's not, really a huge weakness team still bat batted 297 for the season slugged 503 
um, hit the for the most part hit the ball well during the SEC season. And I wouldn't, you know, you, you can't deny that the bats have not, they haven't been swinging it great, but it's also when a team is as talented that you don't expect a, the, uh, you know, this to continue for that much longer. And hopefully for Vanderbilt's sake, it ends this weekend, this Saturday night, and they start swinging the bats better. Yeah, I mean, the first round matchup they got, man, did you get a chance to watch any of that super regional out yeah. in Tucson? Not every pitch, but I, I, you know, I was definitely watching, um, watched parts of all three games. And, uh, you know, th that's another story, which I'm sure you've discussed a lot in, in people. I'm sure you've talked about it. Everyone fretting about Vanderbilt's quote unquote third starter. And sure, it hasn't been a great situation. It's been up and down. But the fact that all these SEC teams are, uh, you know, having to start a reliever in game three and going to closers in the fourth or fifth inning. So I think a lot of that was Arizona's bats and a lot of that was an Ole Miss pitching staff that outside of Nikhazy is not uh, is not very deep right now. You there, Chris? Oh, sorry. It helps to take it off mute. Um, what are your thoughts on on the way they hit? That lineup just looks like a nightmare to pitch to. Yeah, it's interesting because you see, I was you know did a little research because you know all I care about is show prep for this uh, podcast. Um, you know, good, it, good that you have your priorities in order. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, they hit three twenty seven, which is a gaudy number compared to Vanderbilt's two ninety seven, but pretty much slugged the same five oh seven to 503 on base percentage 426 for Arizona to 388 for Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, I mean, I was impressed with they hit the ball, hit the ball hard, hit the ball in the gaps a lot. There's a lot was made of the, their ability to um, hit the ball, score a lot of runs without having to rely on the home run. So people saying that they won't be hurt necessarily by the bigger TD Ameritrade. But then I'd say that also might play into Vanderbilt's favor because Vanderbilt's the one Achilles heel of his pitching staff is giving up the long ball. We saw it against, you know, what Georgia Tech did. So if there's not the threat of the long ball, especially Jack, well, Jack Lider's not facing them, so it's not a great example. But Vanderbilt's pitchers seem to give up singles, walk singles or home runs. Not a lot of doubles and triples there. So, yeah, I, I don't know what to make. It's a talented team. Um, I don't claim to be an expert on Pac-12 pitching, but I don't care if you hit 327 as a team and you play in the Pac-12, you can swing the bat. Have you ever seen an Otter Park than that one? No, I've been there, actually. Um, I believe if I'm unless I'm just Mick totally botching this story. My sophomore year in college was the sports center of the Vanderbilt Hustler, and Vanderbilt played Georgetown in the NCAA tournament in Tucson. And I went out there for about five days, and it was during spring training. And I think back then the Cleveland Indians trained there, uh, or had spring training there. So I went to a, I went to a spring training game there. So I can't I don't remember it, but it, it is odd with that line out there. If it's a home run, not a home run. That wall's weird, and yeah, it's just. It's uh, it's it's kind of a weird set stadium. Why don't they just knock down the wall instead of have a line like that? That is such a pain. It's so confusing. It is like, completely. Tell, it's okay. You, I, I, it's not two walls, is it? With one in the back, is it one wall with the line? I think it's one wall with the line. That's so stupid. Well, it is, and, and like like I would understand it a little bit better if the wall weren't so far back. Like maybe at one point they're like, "Hey, the ball gets out here too easily. We're gonna make it the big wall." But no, it's three sixty five down the line and left. Yeah, it just like I just, it seems like you're just bringing confusion into the game, and 
you know, a missed call at first base is one thing, and I know there's replay now. A missed home run, not home run call, is very, you know, that that obviously has huge ramifications. So I don't even know why you'd bring that into the equation. Yeah, I I don't either. I want to talk about Arizona's pitching for a minute. Uh, and, and give me just a moment to pull this up. Because it's unusual. They've got, they've got a bunch of arms. And, and to me, it feels like their philosophy must be just, we'll throw a guy and ride the hot hand. And, and some of these guys' ERAs don't matter because they probably had 10 run leads. And if the guy gives up a, a three spot, who cares, right? Um, and so I think maybe when a team scores as much as that one does, you keep that in mind. But I am looking at at them, and we're publishing some previews of each team at the site, the SEC site I run, southeastern14.com, and I've actually got the Arizona one in front of me. I'm about to publish that uh, shortly, but I I did strikeout rates and free pass rates and all kinds of stuff and runners printing, because sometimes an ERA can be deceptive. Like, I'll give you an example. One of their relievers, the Absher kid, he's got a 291 ERA, but you look a little closer He's given up 1.62 runners per inning. That's not good. Usually you do that, your ARA is more like a 7. And so I kind of look for where there's a little smoke and mirrors. If they don't have Luna, who got suspended, Dawson Nets is a nice arm out of their pen, but not a great one. I wouldn't take him over any of Vanderbilt's for sure. I, I would certainly put him behind Maldonado and Murphy. And their starter... Um, although that's weird. He's got a 554 ERA, but a, a 117 runners per inning. So there's a little disconnect there too, but they don't really have an ace. And you look at their bullpen and it's kind of a bunch of guys and, and it's not a, like a Mississippi State situation where they are somebody like Texas is a great example. Well, they've got, you know, probably at least three or four pretty dominant relievers they can bring in. Uh, t- to me, it just looks like Let's score a bunch of runs, guys, and hope the pitching can hang on. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I did a little digging, too, that it looks like Luna and with the Abshare, the other guy, no decision's been made, which you can interpret that as one way. It's like if they haven't announced that they probably aren't coming back or that they just haven't announced it. Who knows? Now, it's it's dangerous to look up, to, to look at stats as a staff because Vanderbilt's playing them in one game at least for now, it's not a weekend series. But one thing that would concern me for Arizona, and it's a good time for Vanderbilt, I'm a big, I know with uh, all stats are important, big hits, standings, pitch. Just kind of give a, that's a good indication to me of, you know, uh, how good your arms are. And they're, they're, they have 538 innings, 536 hits. So that's not very good for a team that's ranked fifth in the country. They're, th- they're two primary starters. 89 hits allowed in 86 innings. And then Silseth, um, who I guess is going to be pitching Saturdays, 105 hits in 91 innings, which compare that to what Vanderbilt's two starters are. You know, Vanderbilt's numbers are obscene is in batting average allowed. This season of the podcast presented by Jody Jones, DDS. Jody, a former Commodore football player and also a Vanderbilt Athletics booster. If you need cosmetic or general dentistry services, Jody is your guy. You can find him at 55 Music Square East. I've been to his office. You've never seen anything like it in a dentist office. It really is more like a spa than a dentist office. That's by design. Those guys want you to feel comfortable. You'll find friendly folks and great service. 
In fact, the service is so good, Jody is the dentist of choice for all kinds of stars, athletes, music stars, movie stars, coaches. He is the guy that people in Nashville go to when they're looking for the best in general and cosmetic dentistry services. Thank you to Dr. Jody Jones for sponsoring this season of the podcast. Without him, it wasn't possible, so be sure and thank him for that. Go visit him and tell him you appreciate his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast. You know what's weird, too? It's just it's such a different atmosphere out west. I was looking up in my Stanford research. They had a catcher who was really good, and he has not played, I think, since the last weekend of the regular season. Like, I literally don't think he has played a game in the regional or super regional. I've Googled that kid. I cannot find out what's happened. Yeah, I don't uh, know. It's just it, the, the, the intensity and everything in the Pac-12. And that's it. Stanford's a program that's – Won a couple titles, won 17 college World Series. It's just really odd to, to try to look up stuff on some of these teams. I'm like, is he not even covering these guys? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a good point. It's like someone like that shouldn't fall, fall off the face of the earth. I'll give you a sort of a on the topic of a Pac-12 apathy. I remember my brother and I went out to Stanford. Uh, for the opening series of the year that Vanderbilt opened up out there and, and saw a couple games at Sunken Diamond. And I think I've said this on the pod before. It, it just was like a, a golf atmosphere. It's their opening series, and I'm thinking that the stands will be packed, and it's like maybe 500 people there, and they're making no noise. And and then we go over to Cal because they had a midweek game. Uh, the press facility, we were in a, like a, a construction trailer or something like that. Like the field wasn't nice. You're just like – these programs out there, they got all this tradition and history. I, I guess it's just we got a bunch of players in our backyard and we'll get them because we're in the Pac-12 because certainly when it comes to, to atmosphere and passion, you just don't feel it when you're out there. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, it's pretty much universal. Arizona had some good crowds for the re, for the Super Regional, which you would expect, um, but it's just it's a, it's a different animal. And uh, on a related note, I'm just stunned – by USC's lack of success in baseball. Oh, like I they, am too. They, they were the program 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They have the most national championships, I think, still by far. But in the last 15 years, it's, I mean, it is absurd that they're not any better. I mean, they, they don't, what is it? They made like one regional in 10 or 15 years. That's crazy. I was out actually out in Omaha for, I would say, at least half of the College World Series the last time they won that would have been 98 i think the final was the final game was 21 to 14 uh that was back in the hot bat era i didn't stay around for the final but very different times back then than now yes i mean the sport was different i don't think you were um i don't have the numbers to back this up but i don't think you were the the quality high school players were going to college like they are now. There's more and more guys uh, going to college as far as by back then. More more guys went straight to the draft. I don't know how that would specifically affect USC other than it's just it's a different it's a it's a different sport now. Yeah, it really is. Um, let's go ahead and grab some mailbag questions. Are you ready for that? Sure. You're getting them either way, so. That's I don't know why I don't know why we go through the ceremony of this. Don't ask me. I, I guess I pretend to be nice to you um, yeah. since we're friends. But uh, all right, our mailbag is sponsored 
by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Give him a call today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vanity Sports Podcast. Uh, Dorking wants to know your picks to make the College World Series finals. Um, I'm going to be boring and pick Vanderbilt in Texas. Um, I guess not that boring. It's a four same, same one I had before the tournament. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And obviously wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee made it. Um, they're playing great, great right now. Um, I was just, you know, Texas, Texas had to sweat. I watched in South Florida tie them up in the ninth inning. Uh, but they've got really good frontline pitching. Um, you know, it's 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 a program that's been there. You know what? Two years ago they made it. I don't know what the 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 roster construction was back then. Um, but I I think Vanderbilt and Texas would be my picks. Texas has parked looked a lot nicer on TV than it did when Vanderbilt went there in '04. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Didn't they have? Did they have turf infield? Or they, either they were one of the, they had turf there and the quality of the turf wasn't good or they had turf in I don't think they weren't like the old Wichita State Stadium where they had like turf infield grass outfield but I just remember on TV you're right that the the stadium looked did not look that glamorous I don't know if that's the right word when Vanderbilt played there in 04. They had if I remember correctly I don't remember if the infield was turf or dirt but they definitely had an old school like. You know, veteran stadium circa 1985 artificial turf surface back then. That was basically like half concrete, half turf. Yes, and they had the team to take advantage of it. They just rolled balls in the gaps. Uh, and it was like hitting balls on an airplane runway. They just rolled forever and forever. And it seemed like Texas hit about 19 triples in two games, and uh, and that was that for Vandy. Yep, yeah, that that was a case of a, a really good Vanderbilt team against a Texas team that had a lot more experience in the moment, and you know you had a first time head, well, Tim Corbin's second year, and you know again that that was a good Vanderbilt team that could hit and had some decent pitching and just got outclassed that weekend. Yeah, for sure. View um, Perry says would love to hear any stories about Corbin's first year at Vanderbilt. Um. <clears throat> You know, I, I got to know that, that was back in the day when I used to go. I when my early days at Athlon, and we were right across the street from um, Vanderbilt before Athlon moved out by the airport. And I'd go to the football press conferences every Monday and go to the luncheons and stuff. And I remember they brought the new football, they brought the new baseball coach in one time just to keep, kind of eat lunch with the media, and he spoke. And um, so that was the first time I met him. And then I, you know, just got to know him over the years. And you know, I, I don't. I, the thing about when 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 Corb started, it was 2003, and I had a two-year-old. And as anyone knows, with young kids, you know, it's some it's difficult to get out of the house on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And go so I didn't go a lot of baseball games early in his tenure. I started going a lot more, and I guess the next year in '04, and then started going uh, in six and seven. So, um, you know, I learned a lot about the early years from that piece I did on Worth Scott, which I tweeted out again yesterday or two days ago, the the, the home run. So I talked to a bunch of the old players. Um, from that era. So if anybody subscribes to Athletic, they can go just Google Worth Scott, Mitch Light, Athletic. I think the story will come up. Um, but some great stories. A little Junction Boys to it, if you're familiar with, you know, uh, the, the Bear Bryant era at Texas A&M trying to weed out the kids that that really, you know, weren't, weren't fully committed. Uh, Corpse tells stories about how taking over a team that 
had some good weekend arms, but absolutely no depth. So they would throw some position players midweek and uh, just a lot of belief and just talking to people who worked at McGugan at the time that, you know, I think, I don't know if it was his first year, but there was one weekend where they, they played at South Carolina and they had a really tough loss and blew a late lead or something. And Corbs came back and like, I think in his uniform sat at his desk all night writing recruiting letters and just how committed he was to turning this thing around. So uh, he's mellow. He's still extremely intense, still hates to lose. Um, you can see that on his face after a loss, but he's mellowed in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, he was, uh, you could tell right from the, from the get-go that he was the real deal. Speaking of that era, I ran into Caesar Nicholas after the regional, one of the games. Uh, he was out in the concourse, and he remembered me, um, oh. which I, I did not expect. Lee from Vandy Sports fame? Uh, yeah, I wasn't quite that direct, but um, I, I I recognized him, and I don't ever presume. I mean, heck, if I were 21 or 22, I probably wouldn't remember someone who covered me uh, right. 17 years ago, but he did. Um Asked me how I was doing. We talked, I guess, a good 10 minutes. He is a, uh, a sports agent now. He'd been a man- manager in the Mariners system, but really good dude, doing well for himself. He te- he said that, you know, he was back. I saw him at the Kentucky series. He said a lot of players are still around. I, I see um, Warner Jones I see there from time to time. I haven't spoken to him, but I I see him from a distance and he said, "Worth Scott's there a, a decent amount too." So some of those old guys from back in the day uh, still hang around. Yeah, which you'd expect. I mean, a lot's made of the the former players that come back to work out. Um, but then a lot of the guys who just settled in Nashville. I see uh, Tyler uh, Roden at games a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I see a bunch of, and then some players from my era. Um, you know, the, the, the mid, the Steve green, see him at games a lot. And, you know, obviously I go to games with Willie Donick and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly a program that has embraced its past and, and made, made even the players before Tim Corbin showed up, uh, made them feel like they're part of the program. Well, and I guess the point of him remembering me, that was kind of the culture that he instilled right away. Now I used to go to games and cover him. It was literally just Tim and I after games and the players weren't under the spotlight. And like they all, most of them knew me by name because I was the only guy there. And it was a lot more casual and relaxed in. But you know, that pointed to the culture that he created right away that like his kids would know your name and, and shake your hand and look you in the eye. Now, you know, it's it's probably too hard for them to remember all the names because there's a bunch of them. But you could just like tell that he had put his stamp on the culture uh, from the day he got there. Yeah, and this is going um, similar story, but my, my wife always tells a story when, when we talk to people about Vanderbilt baseball and that, you know, my son Gabe was obviously a baseball manager for so many years that we were, this isn't an early Corbin era. This is, we were there in 2014. We just, we drove and got there and went to a lunch spot maybe a day before Vanderbilt played. And we're just walking in downtown Omaha and someone yelled, Gabe, Gabe. And Gabe's probably what is this 2000? He's eight or nine years old. No, he's 10 years old at this point. And it's Vince Condi with his entire family and introduces his family to Gabe. This is one of our bat boys, Gabe. He does a great job. And, you know, that was just, my wife was just blown away by, you know, Vince and, and how nice he was and appreciative of what Gabe did. And just, it was, that was just, that's a story that I'll, I'll always remember. And, and, and we saw Vince was back in town, maybe three or four years later at football homecoming game and, and Gabe and I were walking up Natchez Trace to Vandyville and he saw Gabe and couldn't believe how, you know, he got, he got a selfie with Gabe and 
and and said he could not wait to text it to uh, Joel McKeithen because Joel and Vince, I guess where they stood, were always hanging out and talking to Gabe uh, when he was a bat boy. So that, that that's those those two things always uh, I'll always remember those. Yeah, th- there was a lot of stories like that that I have. I think one of the big ones, and I may have shared this on the podcast a few years ago. I was at a fall scrimmage, and I was standing out on the the patio up there. Uh, next to the press box for just a minute. And I, I look over, and there was Pedro Alvarez. And he was looking over, and he kind of caught my eye and motioned to me. And, and I went over and, and talked to him for a minute. And I, I wasn't sure, because Pedro was one of those kids who was really quiet when he was here. Uh, and, of course, there was all kinds of focus on him. But, you know, he, he remembered me, talked to me and everything. And, you know, you think sometimes in that case, all right, he's gone on, he played in an all-star game, he run a home, won a, a home run title, but... It's like back in that atmosphere, that's just kind of the way those guys carry themselves. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't gonna go over and bug him, but you know the, the fact that he just kind of motioned that and, and struck up a conversation I, again, I, I think it just it, it speaks volumes to the culture he's created. I, I know we could um, tell those stories for a while, but let me let's get to the next one. Uh, boy, this is a good one. Diehard View fan says, do you think? Either fan base could handle a potential Vanderbilt Tennessee championship series. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that would be uh, very interesting. Interesting for both fan bases. Uh, I think it would be funny with the truth serum. Like, if your team wasn't going to win it, would you rather lose in the championship game to the other team or not make it? And I don't know what the answer would be for a lot of people. So, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I listened to Tim Corbin's press conference today, and you know he he obviously answers it diplomatically. He doesn't think like a fan; he thinks like a coach, and he's uh, very happy for Tony Patello and their, their program. It's a good program. I mean, they obviously have a good team this year. Um, it's good for the state of Tennessee, uh, but neither fan base likes the other fan base, and that's that's what you'd expect. That's good for rivalries. That's that's what makes college sports fun. And it's rare, you know, Vanderbilt, Tennessee were kind of on the same footing in, in basketball for about a three or four year stretch there. Had some great battles with the Bruce Pearl, Kevin Stallings era. And then in football, you know, during the James Franklin era, there was, you know, when Vanderbilt had that stretch there. But for the most part in the sports, whether it's Vanderbilt baseball dominating or Tennessee dominating some other sports, they haven't been on equal footing. So um, it, it's, it's fun. I get it. Uh, I get the Vanderbilt fans angst like this is quote unquote our sport you know you guys claim that baseball wasn't important now you're good you know Vanderbilt kind of went through that uh renaissance in in two in their 2004 when it was the the, like we've talked to our 2007 with that regional here and what a great atmosphere it was there so um that's a great question we very well could see that I mean that both of those they're the betting even though we picked Texas Vanderbilt and Tennessee are the betting favorites to emerge from each side of the bracket we were at the press conference today, today being Wednesday, and of course, Tim Corbin was asked about that, and he said, I'm genuinely happy for them. He said, I think it raises the level of baseball in our state. Now you got eight, nine, ten-year-old kids that are thinking about playing college baseball, and, and this is me paraphrasing, so I'm sure I won't get it exactly, but he said, basically, that's a lot of eyes from young kids on baseball in the state and it's good for our college baseball environment. And that may have been the politically correct answer. I, I don't know. Uh, but it was interesting to hear his take on that. Yeah. One, one thing about it too is, you know, it is, and this is looking long-term assuming Tennessee, you know, remains a, a really good program, which I think they will be. Will, will they get some kids in state that Vanderbilt would typically get 
in years past. Sure, they'll get a few. Um, but I don't – Vanderbilt recruits nationally. It is a recruiting juggernaut powerhouse similar to like Alabama and Ohio State in football. Vanderbilt will continue to sign elite classes. Um, so it's not a situation where you had a school that was depending on like a Florida, Florida State football. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Like you were depending on in-state recruits and then another power, another school comes up and starts stealing those recruits. And like, where do we turn now? That, that's not the case for Vanderbilt. Again, will, will they lose some kids that they maybe would have gotten five years ago? Sure. But there's there's I have no concern about Vanderbilt's co- recruiting ability to recruit top players in the short and long term under Tim Corbin. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that maybe this is my best answer to, to that general thought. It still seems to me like each program's bigger competition for the guys they really, really, really want are the pros more so than each other. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, Tony Vitello is obviously a very good recruiter and they're they're getting their their for two or three years, they've recruited very well too. So yeah, it's, um, and that, that's a good way to put it. I mean, schools like Vanderbilt recruit against other national powers, but they also recruit against the the, the pros and, and, and trying to figure out which kids are really more seriously going to consider college than go to the pros. But that's very difficult to do now when you were signed, you're getting commitments so early, which all programs are. So the whole, it's, it's a kind of, it's, it's a really, fascinating dynamic well i'd like to look at it but it seems like tennessee has brought in a good number of juco kids uh as long as i remember yeah i mean definitely that's that's something they have done and i'd have to look at the numbers this year's team i don't know how many uh junior college kids they have they've got some you know uh the what's the closer's name sean huntley huntley uh, yeah from mount juliet who i don't think you know joe rex had a story about him i don't think Vanderbilt recruited him um so you know, it's there's going to be kids that there's going to be some kids at Vanderbilt signs that Tennessee doesn't recruit, and there's going to be some kids at Tennessee signs that or vice versa. So it's just again, I, I don't think it's not like you can sit there and say Mississippi State and Miss, Ole Miss in football. There's not enough players in Mississippi for both programs to be really good. That, that's not a concern. Vanderbilt's not going to hurt Tennessee, and Tennessee's not going to hurt Vanderbilt or prevent them from being top programs. Next one, H.D. Young asks, if Tim Corbin were to leave, heaven forbid, what would be the thing that would draw him away or what would Vanderbilt not be able to provide to keep him from staying? In other words, is Vandy doing all it can do to keep him? Um, I mean, I don't know all the ins, ins and outs. I would, I think, yes, more than ever. I mean, I think there was, you know, Vanderbilt's a great baseball job for a lot of reasons. Um, if it weren't, it, it, then Tim Corbin would have left while ago now he loves Vanderbilt he loves his job he loves his former players loves the culture he's created there uh my you know I don't this is kind of just the way I think about it if he would have there's been opportunities a lot of opportunities at great programs in recent years when things weren't as aligned as properly or well aligned as they are now at Vanderbilt so I I the the only reason I think Tim Corbin would leave now is if for some reason he just woke up one day and said you know what I've had an unbelievable run 20 years and I want to do it somewhere else you know it's nothing against Vanderbilt. It's it's I've been here a long time. I want to do it somewhere else. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened maybe five years ago, um, uh, just based on his age there. So, but I think he is, you know, he's he's well compensated. He is, I believe, the highest paid baseball coach in the country, or he's in the top two or three. Um, he's got an amazing facility. Um, I think he 
you might know this better. I don't think he has any issues with getting kids into school like some coaches have in the past, although I think that a lot of that's overrated. I think the coach proves he can graduate players at the school. We'll work with the coaches there. So, um, you know, again, I, I think he, he he likes Candace Lee. They get along well. And I think there's been times where he's been frustrated with the, the leadership in the past. I know Chancellor Deermeyer is very, very pro college baseball. He loves it. So uh, I think things are properly aligned right now that there wouldn't be a reason for Tim Corbin to leave unless he just said, hey, I want to try something new. Yeah, I think there were some particular irritants that, that have popped up in the last couple of years. Uh, and I, I would say the biggest, there's more I won't get into, but I think the biggest was just the way the school handled the COVID and Ethan Smith and attendance. Those were, and people have wondered, why have you made such a big deal? I, I know it was a big deal uh, to, to him too, so... Um, right. I, I, don't know. I don't know the details of that. So. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't get into that. But I know that's not that's not me speaking idly. But uh, I'll just leave it there and go on to the next one. I, I and, and for the record, I don't think he's leaving. But I do know him enough to know that he is always going to play his cards when there's something to use that to leverage as much as he can for his program. I mean, you know what? And and he 100% should do that. That's that's exactly what I would do if I were in his shoes. I think that's the most likely ending to this. Um, I, I would be pretty surprised if he leaves, but I do expect him to uh, leverage the LSU interest there uh, into into whatever it is that's on his mind that he wants. And And I think that would be those things and some stadium stuff. So... Um, that that's my take on it. But um, the next one from NBA door, what do you think has led the Jerry Stackhouse's recruiting success recently? Uh, that's a good question. I don't really have a good answer. Sometimes it's just finding the right guys. And, you know, and obviously Lee Dort and the, the Shelby kid that they just, they struck a chord. They got they, they great relationships. Those kids were the, the right fit for Vanderbilt. Um, and he was able to close the deals with, with those guys. And, you know, so I, I don't, I think a lot of football recruiting is different because in baseball, cause you sign so many guys and basketball can be not fluky or lucky, but you can have some kids you feel real good about and you just lose them. I remember after Kevin Stallings, one of his good runs, uh, you could help me out with the year, Chris. And I think a lot of these kids didn't pan out, but he was really close on several top 100, top 50-ish kids from Texas specifically and just lost them all. And I know the staff felt really good about him. It was just sort of like one of those things where it didn't happen, where in other years they got guys like Jeffrey Taylor or Brad Tinsley, you know, was available in the spring because he got out of his Pepperdine commitment. So some, sometimes in basketball, it doesn't take a lot for things to either work out really well or not to work out at all. Where in football and baseball, it's more like it's just, it, 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 that's just not the case with the numbers. Which period was that? I'm, I've gone blank on the period you're speaking it was, about. Well, okay, one of them, the two of the kids were, was a uh, big guy, a big white cent, uh, power forward from Texas who went to Texas and his name Connor or something. I could look up old types, a bunch of athletes. I could look up Texas. And then a, uh, a, a big shot blocker who ended up going to either SMU or Texas as well. Um, that was back when I, you know, Dan Muller was here. I, was, I knew Dan pretty well. So he would, you know, we'd talk a lot and stuff like that. So it was just one year where they were, again, they thought they were really close on about three top 50-ish kids and didn't get any of them. Yeah, I've, I've gone blank. Boy, it's... 
years run together after a while. But yeah, I mean, I'll just move on to the next one, I guess, because I'm I'm just totally going blank on, on who the big man was too. Um, I remember them losing a guy to SMU, but I cannot think of who it was. Yeah, and again, I don't think any of these guys panned out. So yeah, that, that, that's probably not that's probably not helping things. Yeah. <laughs> you tend to remember the ones that went elsewhere and 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 did pan out, but. Um, NBA door asks, why is Jerry Stackhouse so rarely engaging with the media when he needs to build interest and exposure for his program? I can't really answer that question. I mean, I don't cover Vanderbilt, um, you know, so I'm not around the media. Well, first of all, because of COVID, no one's really been around. Um, I don't know that he doesn't. I mean, I can't really answer that question. Should, should he do more media stuff? Probably, I guess. But I mean, I don't, I guess he doesn't do a lot of talk radio like sports talk radio but he does um you know during the season he does his media availability and stuff it's not like he doesn't speak to the media so i mean i i don't really have a good answer for that question yeah i mean he doesn't pop up on local media much at all and then all of a sudden somebody will link something to our board where he's on a a podcast in boston or something with the nba or you know just random subjects or something like that i think he was on a business podcast it just seems to me like he doesn't really value the local part of it, but like the, the the whatever talking about the NBA or or branding himself, it's all stuff in other markets that he seems to do. Yeah, um, I mean, he's probably got a lot of contacts over the years. A lot of people know him. He's got a lot of other interests, I guess. And um, so, you know, I saw that he was on some really detailed X's and O's basketball podcast that I listened to on a run one day that that I found very interesting and really. And he talked a lot about what he runs at Vanderbilt, but it wasn't like promoting Vanderbilt. So, I, I mean, it's a fair question. I, I don't, but I can't answer it. I don't, I don't know. NBA door wants to know what's a successful season for Clark Lee. Um, I just think this is a boring answer, but just progress and just showing, uh, showing that it's a team that, and I, I have full confidence that we'll see this. Like, I don't know what the win total is, but a team that's just well put together, well coached, engaged, um, you, you feel like the, the, the coaching staff is putting the guys in the, in the best position to succeed, um, that they stay engaged all season, which can be very difficult if you're not winning. Um, um, so I, I think it's unfair to put a win total on, especially a coach who's, you know, will have the patience of the administration and a coach who's talking about a 10 year, you know, plan, although he, he's also quick to point out that he, you know, he wants to experience as much success as possible early. But this is clearly a long-term deal for Clark Lee, so I, I wouldn't even know what what a win total. But I, I think it's sort of like you, you can just tell by watching it if you think he's doing a good job. NBA Door says, who's your, on your Mount Rushmore of Vanderbilt coaches regardless of sport? Hmm. Well, Tim Corbin, obviously. Um, you got to put James Franklin on there. Um, I'm going to go – I'm going to be – I'm going to cheat a little bit and say from my era, from when I showed up in, as a student in 1989-90. Um, I know that's not the question. Um, I'll put Jeff McDonald on there. I'm going across all sports. And then I will put... Um, I'm a big Kevin Stallings fan. I think he's undervalued, underappreciated. Uh, didn't win an... Uh, do I go Eddie Fogler? won an SEC championship. I'm going to go Eddie Fogler. 
Well, I, I think you've got to, to me, there were three easy names. Uh, I, I, you've got to go Tim Corbin. I think you have to go Dan McGugan. You have to go Roy Skinner, in my mind. Now, you did you did change the question a little bit to your era. Right. But if you go there, I think it's those three and and then pick a fourth from, I don't know, a half dozen guys. I, I, I got to be part. I, I got to get my man John Williamson on there just because I like John. So yeah. that that's a totally personally like him as a person biased answer but uh we settle somewhere in that neighborhood between all those names i suppose yeah yeah and it's i mean again when i'm doing just my year that's cutting out a lot of years um in the past there so um but uh yeah so some obvious ones and then some some good good debate mitch that's the end of the the podcast or the end of the mailbag at least anything that you'd like to promote with the athletic or any final thoughts or observations before we end today's show? Not really, not really looking forward to, um, the games this weekend. I've been to Omaha three times. I wouldn't rule out a, a late visit, a late trip if intervals in the championship series, but we've got a couple other family trips coming this summer, some college visits for my son. So, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't in the plans, uh, this, uh, this year. So I'll be, I'll be watching from the couch. Yeah, I have got credentials. I think I mentioned this on another podcast. Uh, for the championship series, if they get there, uh, would still have to see if I could make it. Chip Frederick and I have talked about maybe going out there. We might have to do a, a Mitch, Chip, and and Chris oh, no. live pod in the car. Um, yeah. Road yeah, noise and everything. Pod? A 12-hour pod? Twelve. Yeah, I, I bet people would love that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would be the first one to want to stop the car, you think? Yeah, I don't know, me. Probably me, uh, but anyway. Um, all right, Mitch, uh, thanks for joining us. We will catch you next week uh, when we've got Omaha baseball to talk about in some form or fashion. All right, sounds good, Chris. Take care. All right, he's Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll probably do one more of these. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll catch you again very soon.